Hey everybody, this is Bevan. Welcome to Bevan, a femme over 40 and her friends podcast. I'm your host, Bevan. I've said my name three times. It's time to start the show. Today, I want to talk about how queer people become parents. Um, and I know this is not like some great mystery, but I think it's something that people need some more hope and belief built around. Um, I just know so many people who right now are going through the conception process online. They call it TTC, trying to conceive. I learned that from the first set of lesbian parents that I ever met who uh, created a baby while I was friends with them, um, TTC, because uh, they were trying to learn a lot online about how to do it. Um, and I ha have actually a couple of friends who listen to this podcast who are doing that right now. And so I thought this is a really opportune time to just talk from my heart about what I've experienced because I've been gay a long time. <laughs> I've been a queer adult. Uh, I mean, I guess I came out when I was 19 and lots and lots and lots of my queer friends have uh, become parents. And I want to tell you, almost nobody became a parent exactly how they thought they would. Um, in fact, I don't actually know anybody who became a parent exactly how they thought they would, uh, which can be maddening because so much of what I learn in life um, is like mindset and thought life is everything. Um, and uh, I think so many of us just think, you know, like you're taught to go to school, get a job. Like it's very straightforward, right? This is the path to quote unquote success. Um, for me, that was not the path to success. For so many other people, that's not the path to success. But you're taught this like one way of doing things. And uh, when you're already kind of entering the parent process or the parent, the, the desiring parent process, uh, you're at some disadvantages as a queer couple. Um, I'm a person who has never had procreative sex. Um, and I say that to mean like I've never had sex that could have resulted in me getting pregnant. Um, and when you're a queer couple and you can't get pregnant that way, um, some queer couples can, um, but when you're a queer couple and you can't get pregnant that way, that you're already dealing with a fertility problem just at the start. So it's, it's kind of reassuring, right? Cause like, okay, if you know, you already like have a fertility problem, you have to fill in the gaps. You have a little bit of an idea of what to do. So to, today I'm going to talk about, um, I just want to give you hope. So I'm going to talk about some stories that I've witnessed and experienced that I think give me a lot of hope that everyone's going to have a kid. Um, I like to call this stork energy, right? Like giving you the energy of the stork, that mythical bird that is going to bring a baby and drop it on your doorstep, right? Um, and the stork comes in so many different ways, um, kind of like Santa Claus. Uh, <laughs> But first, I want to talk a little bit about my mindset around my own fertility and my own journey to parenthood, just simply because I've really worked hard on the way I think and believe about uh, my journey to parenthood. And, um, and I think mindset is one of the most powerful tools we have. And I think what I've done and how I've approached it is very different than most of the people I know. And also, I'm 42 years old. I don't have any kids. I'm not even dating anybody. <laughs> so like, who knows, right? Like how this is going to happen. But I want to talk to you about my belief. So when I was in my late teens and 20s, I did not want to have children. I like felt there were just so many difficulties in the way I was raised and so much trauma, so much abuse, a lot of child abuse. I wasn't even, when I was in my 20s, I wasn't even fully aware of all of the child abuse I experienced. Um, it took a lot of therapy to really dig into that. And I'll say even this, two weeks ago, 
um, I had a, another level of realization of abuse I experienced, uh, which sucks. But I mean, I own what happened to me. It wasn't my fault, but it is my responsibility to uh, heal from that. Absolutely. Uh, because I'm an adult and I take full responsibility for my experience of life. So when I was in my early 20s, I didn't want to have kids. Uh, I read a re- I read a book recently. It's called Visioneering. It's very good. And it talks about success. Um, and when you are going for success, I encourage people to really define it for themselves. Because so frequently, our idea of success, this was my idea of success back in the day, is what our parents wanted for us, right? I didn't go to law school for me. I went to law school because I wanted love and belonging, and I knew it would please my mother. Um, and I regret that choice. <laughs> Still have all that debt. Um, but it's all, it's all good, right? It's all part of my, my process. And I'm glad I know now what success means to me. And I'll just tell you right now what success means to me is to have a great marriage, to have a harmonious family life, a good relationship with my kids. I want to be able to speak my mind freely and I want to be able to give generously. Those are like the things that are most important to me. And that's what I spend my time working towards. Um, but I'll say this, I didn't have a relationship, uh, with my parents as an adult, Um, until when I was about 38 years old, that's when my relationship with my mom, uh, started to heal enough that I felt safe to be around her. I did not feel safe around my own mother for most of my adolescent and adult life. Isn't that sad? Um, and I read in this book, Visioneering, that success as a parent, um, he defines as having children who want to have a relationship with you as an adult. And if you parent in a way where you are seeking to have them want to be around you as an adult and have relationships with you, you make a lot of different choices. Um, and I just, I don't fault my parents. Like they did the best they could with what they had. Um, and I really know they, I mean, if I had been a parent at 26 years old, which that was when my mom was a parent, I would have been a disaster. (laughs) So like, I'm glad I get the opportunity to really study and learn communication skills and parenting and like reparenting myself. And I know that's an ongoing and forever journey. And I know my healing work only helps me be a better parent to the kids that will eventually come for me. Uh, So I didn't want to be a parent. And then when I was like in my later 20s, I was engaged to be married to uh, a trans man. And we wanted to have kids. But I was also in like this fantasy about like what our relationship was about and who he was and who I was, right? Like I was just in this alternate reality. So um, I'm glad I never had kids with him Um, and glad we never got married. Like all of that is really a bullet dodged. And, um, but it was interesting that like once I had the relationship that like really conformed, it was interesting. I I was a fat teenager and then I was dating a man for the first time and we had this very straight looking relationship and, um, and it was all just kind of fitting into these neat boxes of this like success life that I'd always been taught about by media and everyone else. Like you get married, you have kids, this is, you go move to the suburbs. We were going to move to the suburbs of, uh, Atlanta. That was our plan. Um, and it never happened. Thank God. So, um, but by then I was like kind of a little more open-minded to the idea of kids. Uh, when I was single after that relationship, I was like, you know, like maybe I'll have kids, but I had, I, I was noticing more and more of my friends. So by then I was in my early thirties, more and more of my friends, especially my heterosexual friends were having kids like crazy. And I was like, man, I want to have like a book and a talk show before I have kids. Um, and I'll say this, I don't want a talk show anymore. I have this podcast. This is all I ever wanted from a talk show, which is just to have a connection with an audience and to share with them 
them experiences from other people um, to help enrich their lives, which I hope that that's what I'm doing in this podcast for you. Um, but anyway, so like th- th- I was like, I wrote it an, on a note on my bulletin board. I want kids, but I want a talk show and a book first. Um, and I'll say this, I'm not waiting to write a book to have kids anymore. <laughs> And then I dated my ex, uh, fiance, Dara. Um, and she, like, we were both like in the middle and ambivalent about having kids. Like I was kind of more towards, yeah, I think I want kids. And she was more towards, yeah, I think I could do without kids. And, but like, we weren't either a hard no or a hard yes. So it was never like some big decision we had to make in a relationship. Um, and I will say, like, I genuinely believe that she could be a great parent, and I predict she could be someone's great step-parent someday, but, um, I am glad we didn't have kids together, because we weren't meant to be together. Um, if we were, we would still be together. Um, but it was so interesting, like, our relationship didn't end until February of 2019, but, um, around October of 2018, right after my first Glowing Goddess Getaway Retreat, it's so amazing, I've talked to so many women who had, like, transformative life experiences happen after their first getaway. Literally the Monday after my first getaway, I got this email from my fiance, like basically pulling the alarm on the relationship. We, we postponed our wedding. Like she was just really unhappy. I didn't know. Um, and we had a lot of stuff to work out, but it was like that moment of like the tension in the relationship, seeing all these cracks in the relationship, it suddenly became very clear to me that not only did I want to be a parent, I knew that I was meant to be a parent and that my kids were coming. Um, and something I had decided in terms of my own fertility years ago, and I wrote a blog post about this a long time ago on my, my blog that I'm writing in again now. Um, it's got a lot of archives. I don't know. I've grown a lot in my time since I've started that blog, but it's queerfatfem.com if you want to go look. I wrote an article about my fertility and how I was kind of dealing with the fertility industrial complex and how everyone has all of this negative stuff to say about getting pregnant later in life, which I think honestly becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you teach women to be scared of their infertility and to think that their fertility is not going to sustain um, to later in life, you teach them to then be afraid of what might happen and fear and stress create a body that is not hospitable to growing life. Um, it also like gets people to pay thousands, uh, tens of thousands of dollars for egg retrievals and things like that. So I just, uh, really made a conscious choice. I had done all my diet industry work. And so I was like, oh, yet another industry that profits off of us feeling this way. And so I just decided to borrow the belief that like, if my, uh, if I was susceptible to the alcoholism of my Irish Catholic ancestors, um, and I, I don't think I was ever really an alcoholic, but I definitely was like a problem drinker for me. Um, I decided to stop drinking at 33 because my drinking problem was at like a three and I didn't want it to get to a 10. Um, so I was like, you know what? I'm going to just stop. That's fine. Um, but I figure if I got the alcoholism stuff and the problems with alcohol, I was like, then maybe I can get their, um, extra, like such boss fertility, right? Like, cause you know, they, I mean, so many people in my, in my family lineage have had kids after 40 accidental babies, all kinds of things. So I, that's where I like kind of got my supernatural belief. I just wouldn't let people tell me otherwise about fertility. And it's a constant need to guard my thoughts about that because the messaging is everywhere. So 
I just kind of, and, and then when I like realized, no, not only do I want kids, but I think they're coming, I kind of realized I was like, oh, maybe my kids are already born because I do have a heart for adoption. Um, I would like personally in my ideal family situation have a mix of kids that I birth and kids that I adopt. Um, and that, I mean, I follow a lot of people online who have adopted. Um, and I think part of that has built my belief and my comfort with that. A lot of people are really scared of the adoption process. Uh, it is very daunting, um, and it's expensive, but it also, I think is one of the most beautiful things you can do is to step in, um, and take responsibility for a child who otherwise wouldn't have a, a really fair shot at life. Um, and so, you know, that's kind of where I'm at with it. It's so interesting because when I think about, do I want kids? Maybe not. Like life is a lot easier without kids. I see all of my friends who are parents during the pandemic suffering. Um, it's really hard to get self-care and peace and quiet when you have kids. Um, but I also like feel it. Um, it's so, it's so interesting when I know something is from God is typically where I can like be the observer and be like, that's not what I would choose. <laughs> There's something like something I said caught my spirit um, in the summer of 2019, simply because like when I observe it, I'm like, I wouldn't have chosen that. I wouldn't have chosen to have that thought or have that desire. Um, so it's just interesting. Like, you know, if I could choose uh, whether to have kids or not, I would still choose to have kids, even though I know it's going to be a hassle. But I'll say this. I've also been I think I talked about this on my spirituality episode um, a couple episodes back, but um, I've been really studying this uh, Mormon mom productivity expert named Jordan Page. She has eight kids. She is much younger than me. She's like in her early 30s, I think. Maybe she's 35. Um, and she is such a boss. And she runs five businesses, right? So she has five businesses, eight kids, a husband, a thriving marriage, and she gets it all done. And she has systems for everything. And I'm learning so much from her YouTube archives. Um, and it's mostly about like how to organize your life with that many kids and that much responsibility because every child and every business is responsibility. And I'll say this as someone who's been a small business owner for 13 years, I think now, um, it is so much more responsibility than I even understood early in being a small business owner. It's only really been in the last couple of years that I'm really learning what it means to take ownership and to take responsibility. And a lot of parenting is having to do that. And I got a lot of peace, um, just this, like maybe a year ago, a little more than a year ago, when I realized that my dad, even though he wasn't around when I grew up, like my mom was a single mom most of the time. I went back and forth between them when I was a very little kid. Um, and it, um, I just realized my dad, uh, abandoning me wasn't about me. It was never about me. It was about him not choosing to take responsibility to step up as a parent, even though, uh, parenting was now in a different way, like having to be divorced, right? Which wasn't what he wanted, right? It was just so interesting. Like when I realized that it kind of set me free because it was never about me. It was always about him. And I want to be the kind of parent that chooses to take responsibility, which is why now um, I've read like 40 communication books in the last two years. Like I've taken it very seriously. Um, I got some feedback that in 2019 that I needed to really work on my communication and leadership skills. And so I dove right in. I get a lot of uh, coaching and mentorship around leadership and communication. And I think I'm getting better. I hope you hear it in, in this podcast. Um, I hope you hear my growth. Uh, anyway, but I just think that for me, like, that's where I'm at with my kids. Like, I know I'm, my spouse is coming. Like, that is just, I'm just trusting my intuition on that. I'm trusting my intuition that my kids are coming. And I also really trust in 
the overall plan and design for the universe. I don't think any human life is an accident. I don't think that, um, I think that we're all here on purpose for a purpose. And some of our purpose is to raise badass kids. Like, I know my purpose is to empower leaders to get free in their minds and bodies. Um, but I also know that, like, I want to be a great mom. And, like, that's part of it, right? And some people, that their purpose is to raise those badass kids. And that's great. Um, but anyway, so I have a lot of peace around that. And that really comes from just this basic, um, this basic idea from Napoleon Hill, which is conceive believe, achieve. And conceive is not about like sperm meets egg, life is created. Conceive is having the dream and the decision that you're going to be a parent. Um, and you don't get to know how, right? Like you don't get to know when you get pregnant. You don't get to know when you're adopted, when you match for an adoption or when a foster placement comes to you, right? Like you don't get to know that stuff. That's not part of the deal. <laughs> I, I I wish it was different, like, for me, too. Like, I, gosh, I wish I could see it, it all, right? Like, it's fun to see, like, to have that hope and belief that my kids are coming, but, like, I have no idea how it happens. Um, but you have to really conceive it in your mind and believe that it's going to happen and fertilize your belief all the time. Like, don't let people talk negative to you. Don't dwell on the negative. And certainly don't focus on your results in order to find your feelings about it. Focus on your dream, not the results. That's something I constantly have to do with my aerobics company back at Dance Party. Um, but I was just reading, and I was just reading this about success today as I was planning this podcast. I was like, oh, conceive, believe, achieve. This is just like it. And, and also you have to put some action in there too. It's not just like you think it and you believe it and it comes for you. You do have to like, if you want to get pregnant, you have to put a little um, baby making juice in there, you know? Uh, so anyway, I just think it's really important to be in a good mindset, um, when you're getting into your fertility journey, which is going to be full of ups and downs and lots of hopes and dashed hopes. Um, this past weekend, Tokativity had, um, an online event, a can of mom social, uh, and, uh, because they were talking about moms, I love that Tokativity is willing to go there. They did a whole panel discussion about pregnancy, uh, loss and cannabis, so women who had experienced, it was all women on that panel, but it was all women who had experienced pregnancy loss and how cannabis was in their journey. And some of them had had kids and some of them didn't um, yet have kids. And uh, it was just a really interesting place where, where women were talking openly about their grief and the grieving process and the loss process in the, um, in the journey to being parents. Um, and it is, I mean, this, listen, love is about being willing to grieve because grief is love with nowhere to go. And, uh, and I just, it occurred to me, actually, I watched Sleepless in Seattle, and I may have talked about this on the podcast a few episodes ago, but I watched Sleepless in Seattle over the holiday season, and I felt so much resonance with the grief of the Tom Hanks character, even though, you know, my last partner didn't die, our relationship did. And I had put so much of my life, I, I moved across the country for that relationship. Like I put so much of myself into that. Like, and when it, when it wasn't there anymore, I had a huge grief about it and I had a lot to process and let go. And it was just really sad to think about that. You know what I mean? And just to realize, and I just realized I was like, oh my God, every love becomes heartbreak no matter what. Like, unless you're the one that dies first, there's heartbreak in that. Right. Um, and so just realizing that like your kids are going to break your hearts, like whether by like pregnancy loss or 
whether by like them, God forbid, passing before you, right? Like it's so fragile to love that much. Um, but it's also one of the most beautiful things you can do is to love a lot. Um, I also, I'm a double rainbow baby. A rainbow baby is a baby that is conceived after pregnancy loss or the loss of a child. Um, and I grew up knowing that my mom had lost two pregnancies before me. One was with twins and one was with a, a girl. Um, and so it's always interesting, like growing up as an only child with a single mom with these like three kind of shadow siblings, um, that didn't exist. And I know that if they had existed, my life would have been way harder because it would have just been way harder. But like, imagine like how, like my mom on, on my pregnancy or the pregnancy with me, she was like, this is the last time she's like, I'm not going to do this again. If I lose this baby, we're not trying anymore. Um, and, but here I am. Right. And I was really meant to be born when I was meant to be born. Everything I know about my astrological chart really maps up to the personality I was meant to have a lot of my life experience. When I say to you, I believe you're alive in at this time, maybe you're listening to this in 2021, maybe you're in the future. Hi, future. Um, thanks for tuning into my podcast, future. Uh, but you know what I mean? I think you're alive at this time for a reason. And I say that and I believe that about myself, too. I think I'm alive at this time uh, for a reason with the personality I have for a reason. And astrology has a lot to do with your personality and your destiny and where you've been. And just with my belief system around all of that, then I believe every human conception is on purpose. Like your birth is sort of charted out by your souls and what they want to learn in this lifetime. And you're like, like I was meant to be born to a cancer woman and a Gemini man and like, poof, that's how it happened. And right. Like, so Anyway, I just want to say all of that because I think that um, embracing the fact that you don't get to know how parenting happens is part of the miracle. That's part of the stork energy. Um, and I have watched so, so many people go through um, incredibly arduous emotional journeys to becoming parents. And part of that is developing your character, I think. And and I say this just as someone who like reads a lot of success books about like, um, you know, being gritty and like staying in there and like not giving up. Right. And like part of like not being where you want to be, I think is part of like, you have more lessons to learn. You just have more to learn. Um, so I want to go through some of the stories. This is what I call story dropping. And what I mean by that is uh, it's like the, a, a correlative thing to name dropping, right? Like you can name drop somebody like, you know them, right? Uh, story dropping is just telling someone's story without divulging their name um, because none of these people have consented <laughs> to their story being on my podcast. Uh, but I think it's going to be a powerful aggregate of stories of um, parenthood achievement unlocked, right? Um, okay, so the first person I want to talk about is my friend. She decided, uh, I think when she was in her early 30s, that she was just going to go ahead and try to get pregnant on her own. She was single. She wasn't, like, trying to wait around for somebody. Um, and so she just, like, bravely said, I'm going to start the process of trying to conceive. She went to acupuncture, like, prepared her body. Like, um, I'm pretty sure she tried a couple of times. Um, but then what's so amazing is that she then met her person while she was in this process of trying to conceive. Um, and so her person was also totally on board to having a kid. Um, and this is not the only person I know, by the way, who pursued solo parenting and then met her person. Um, and so, uh, my friend and her partner met, um, and continued down this trying to conceive journey. It was years of that years of a lot of IUIs, um, intrauterine inception, 
the something like that. I forget what IUI stands for. But anyway, it's the way where like you like really jam it up in there. It's like you can do the method. This is a fun method for getting pregnant. Um, my friend used this method. Uh, I remember I met her in a creek. This is the person. I don't even remember her name. So why do I even call her my friend? But we had we hung out uh, for like a week at a festival and like we were floating in a creek on a tube and she was telling me how she got pregnant with her kid. She literally used a syringe you used to get, the same syringe I used to give my cat medicine, right? Like a little plunger syringe. A friend of hers uh, gave her the sperm uh, from another room in the house and then she went and just used that little syringe, put it in her, got pregnant on the first try. It was the cheapest pregnancy I've ever heard of um, from someone who's queer. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I've actually heard of similarly no cost, uh, pregnancies, but, um, it's just so funny, right? Like it's, it's so funny how I know people who have spent tens of thousands, perhaps even more than a hundred thousand dollars to get pregnant or have a kid. Um, and then sometimes it just happens for people in the real free 99 way. Um, so my friend and her partner, Eventually, I mean, they did all the IUIs, and then they did a couple rounds of IVF, and then they pursued adoption, and getting, and even getting a match for an adoption took a while, but now they have a little two-year-old, so everything worked out for them, but the journey to becoming a parent, I want to say it took 10 years, like a full 10 years for that woman, and I don't want to say that it's going to take that for you, but just knowing the joy that I hear in her voice when we catch up uh, about having a kid, like, and knowing that that was her dream... Um, and also knowing that she found her partner who also wanted a kid and they're still together and they're really happy. Like all of it can work out, right? Like all of these precious things on your heart can totally come to pass. And I will say will come to pass because I really think they will. Um, okay. So this next person I want to talk about is actually someone who's been on my podcast. I will name drop Tristan Reese. Um, I forget which episode it was, uh, but I will put a link to it because Tristan has a book coming out about... Um, so Tristan has three kids, uh, with his partner and, um, they had the first two or they got the first two, uh, through a family sort of needed, uh, it was a family member who had the kids who couldn't care for them anymore. So Tristan, um, and, uh, his partner stepped up and just adopted them and then decided to have kids. And, um, actually Tristan talks about this in that episode. So definitely listen to that, but they just, it's trans fertility. So Tristan is a trans man. Uh, who got pregnant. So, um, talks about how that works, um, in that episode and Tristan's book is coming out. It's called How We Do Family. Um, I'm going to put a link to it in the show notes, uh, in the description of the podcast. So you can go and pre-order that now, but if you're listening in the future, it's probably available on audiobook or, uh, regular hardcover books. Um, but it's a, it's a great episode and it's really fun. Um, Tristan is just so hilarious. <laughs> Anyway, um, okay, so another uh, couple I was thinking about, um, they wanted kids, like, forever, and they had tried to get pregnant, and then, like, um, like just with the regular, like, let's get some frozen sperm and put it in sort of way uh, for a while. Uh, then they also tried to get pregnant uh, through a known donor, um, and they specifically, uh, and don finding donor sperm is a complicated process, and I'll tell you this. I know a lot of people who have done this, um, really look at the reviews for your sperm banks, look at, um, the Better Business Bureau, look at the Yelp pages, because a lot of these sperm banks are, um, selling stuff that has STDs in it, um, selling stuff that has like, um, my friends got a vial once from a cryobank that smelled so awful 
when they opened it up. It, like, stunk their house up for, like, three days, right? Didn't get pregnant, by the way. Um, not with that sperm. They had to change sperms. They changed entire cryobanks. This is the couple I actually learned about um, really doing your research on the um, on where you're getting your sperm from. Um, but so I've had so these this couple I'm talking about had like known donor friends uh, tried to do it that way, didn't get pregnant, and then um, tried a round of IVF that didn't work, um, and also were like kind of simultaneously pursuing foster to adopt placements, um, and then ended up getting placed, uh, with a baby and then within, and, and they told like, there's no family that's going to come in, blah, blah, blah. But then family came in. Uh, and so the family, and there's always a priority for family unification, uh, which I think is actually good. Um, so the family came in and, uh, they lost the baby. It was very, a lot of grief. Like, can you imagine like pouring your heart into like a newborn and then having it taken away six weeks later? So hard. Um, and then it happened again. Their next placement, the same thing happened with a different um, set of circumstances. And they had that baby for like eight months. And then it got uh, rehomed with grandparents who were out of state. Um, and then uh, they had another baby. Like it was three different babies they went through until the fourth baby stuck. Um, and so now they've adopted that baby. So they are actually parents after all of that. Right. Like, can you imagine? There was like some period of time where like multiple of the babies were like in the picture. And so it could have been possible for them to have like four kids at once. Um, and so, but now it's just one kid. Uh, but it was just, it's funny too. Cause we as friends like had a baby shower with them. Like I think three years before the adoption was final on, on the baby that actually stuck. Um, but I think also if you're planning to have kids, have your baby shower whenever you want. You don't have to be pregnant to have a baby shower. Um, I think it's really liberating to, and beautiful to have your friends come around you and like bring that stork energy for you, bring that belief and paint the onesies and do that diaper game with the candy bars or whatever. Um, and, and that's actually, I, I've had multiple friends who've done the like really trying to conceive and then adoption route. Um, and you know, it works out great for them. You know, it, it, eventually something will work, um, if you keep up with it, right? Like if you keep believing for it, um, and okay. So another friend of mine, I have, this is a funny story. Uh, she tried to get pregnant. So first of all, she really wanted to have a baby. Like ever since I knew her, she wanted to have a kid. She had, she got married. Um, and her partner was kind of like medium about having a kid. Um, and kind of, I think had to be talked into it. Um, but so she tried to conceive, didn't work, tried to conceive, didn't work, tried to conceive, didn't work. And then, um, eventually started taking, um, I think one of the fertility drugs, I forget which one it was. But, um, it like, she was on it for a couple cycles, um, trying to conceive, but she also got the side effect that they never talked to her about of, of like intense rage. Like she was like rageful. And I remember her describing it to me and she's just like, I was just out of my mind. And like, and, and it's a side effect. Extreme rage is a side effect of this specific fertility drug. So her doctor took her off of that fertility drug. And then I think this was the best decision she made in that time was they got a kitten. So they already had two cats. They got another cat. Um, and that kitten energy, she got pregnant when they got the kitten. Like, it's like that kitten energy just kind of brought in that playfulness. Um, I think it like lightened the mood a little bit. Cause here's what, like, um, another one of my friends who tried to get pregnant, she talked about like how stressed she was, um, when they were trying. And then when they stopped trying, she was continuing to monitor her ovulation. And then she, she had an even temperature. Like there was, I don't know all the things you measure 
for ovulation. Um, I know there's a lot of measuring. <laughs> um, and But, like, anyway, so she said, like, her, her levels just eased once she stopped trying. Because sometimes it's the trying that's so stressful because it's this constant up and down, will I or won't I, right? And that's where this is called emotional stability and emotional maturity. Um, mentally strong people, like, just um, go through stuff, but they don't let it, like, it, it's it's a muscle you have to develop. Um, there's a really good article in Forbes magazine about mentally strong people and the 13 things they avoid. Um, and I would suggest looking that up because as you're going through this, this is a really great time for you to develop the emotional toughness you're going to need when your kid is sick. If God forbid your kid gets cancer, right? Like, and you need to be emotionally stable for them. Why not use this like up and down conception process to kind of develop, um, your own toughness in, in emotional stuff. I've really, I mean, I really, I've talked about this before, but my 2019 was hell. And I was at my worst in mental health. Like, it was just, like, I was going through so much, and I really had to get through it. And it really started me on this process of really developing my mental strength um, and my emotional stability. And I decided I wanted to become a thermostat instead of a thermometer. Um, you know what I mean? Like, I go into the room, I set the temperature. I'm like, I'm at this vibe, we're going to be at this vibe, right? Like, and it's just, and it's a, it's a delightful vibe. I light up every room I enter. That's one of my affirmations. Um, but like, it's just about like having that, like, and, and it's also about not letting someone else's negative attitude or negative experience bring you down. Uh, this is something I learned in Al-Anon actually is like, if your partner's having a bad day, it doesn't mean you have to have a bad day too. Um, and we're not raised like that. We're raised to be martyrs. We're raised to, um, like just be so distraught by somebody else's, uh, experience. And that's a, another side of control, um, is like allowing someone to control you. Uh, so anyway, that's a little aside, um, but also, if you don't want to use your pregnancy trying to conceive experience to develop your emotional toughness, I don't care. You do what you want to do. But what a great opportunity. Um, okay, one of my favorite ways of queers becoming parents is your turn, my turn pregnancies. This is something you can do when you have two uteruses that function um, and two people who are willing to bear life out of their body. Um, and so I have some friends who um, they tried to conceive for a while and then they got pregnant um, in one uterus, had that baby. And then the second one, they, uh, like my, my other friend, I, she said this at the time and I don't even know if this is fully true, but like she said this at the time, she like didn't want her partner to have to go through childbirth and pregnancy again. So she was willing to take a turn. And I, it's interesting. Cause like you think your turn, my turn pregnancy is like, Oh, I want a kid that looks like me too. But actually it might just be out of compassion for your partner, um, going through Cause pregnancy is very hard. <laughs> like physically very demanding on your body. Um, and obviously I, I hope you realize that. And I hope you realize birth is no picnic either. Um, but anyway, so it was just, I thought it was a very sweet and compassionate reason to like alternate uteruses. Um, uh, but it's funny, the first pregnancy took a while to happen. The second pregnancy I think happened like pretty quickly. Um, and yeah, so, and they had bought different sperm, uh, in the first try, like they had ended up like trying two different sperms. Like they, they went into the midwife to get, to try one time and then they had this other sperm. So they just tried it home too. So they didn't actually know <laughs> which, which sperm it was. 
Um, but they used, they had access to the same sperm of one of the donors for the second pregnancy. Um, but it turns out the girls look just alike, even though they're, um, they look like their respective birth parent. Um, anyway, so I think it was the same donor. Um, anyway, it was, it was kind of cute. I also love the your bun, my oven type of pregnancy where one partner does an egg retrieval and the other partner, um, does IVF, uh, to get implanted. Um, and I, it's called reciprocal IVF, um, in the trying to conceive world. And I love that. I think it's so much fun. Um, it's such a fun way to like game the system as queer parents. Uh, it's expensive as hell, but it's like super fun. Um, so I know several people who have done that. One couple even went to, I think it was Barbados. I want to say it was Barbados. It was some like magical tropical place. Um, they went for a few weeks and did the egg retrieval and then the implantation. And I think it was much less expensive there. Um, and they have a baby. So first try, uh, is a high five. Um, and, and I also, I'll say this, I know I'm talking through a lot of my friends who had like lengthy journeys to becoming a parent, but also I know a lot of people who got pregnant the first or second time, um, and, and then had a hard time getting pregnant the second time. They talked about this a lot at that pregnancy loss, um, and cannabis panel about the secondary for, uh, infertility and how difficult that process can be, um, to get pregnant a second time. I'm not trying to cast any shadows on you. I'm here full of faith that whatever kids are meant to come to you will come to you. Um, it's something that my leak teal says this all the time. Uh, what is for you will not pass you by. Um, I follow her on Instagram. She has two kids, a toddler and a baby. And, um, she actually had done an egg retrieval in her late thirties, but she got pregnant, um, and had her first at 40, um, and then had her second at 42. So pretty boss. Um, I want to say, I don't know if those ages are exactly right, but it's around, she's like my age. So, and we're both 42. So anyway, um, but it's, it's interesting, right? Like you do a whole egg retrieval and then you get pregnant. I have another friend actually, an another heterosexual, my lake is also, uh, straight. Uh, this is another heterosexual friend, but it's funny cause like I met her, um, and the first thing I, I ever knew about her was that she was doing an egg retrieval, um, to freeze her eggs. And that involves a lot of shots, by the way, all of this stuff is like getting shots every single day in order to like get your body to do things in order to create the the follicles and the ovum and the, you know, yada, yada, all that stuff. A lot of shots. It's like 70 or 90 shots to get pregnant with IVF, something like that. Um, anyway, so she got egg retrieval and then got knocked up <laughs> by like, by her now husband. Right. So anyway, these things can happen. Um, you can get pregnant. Uh, one of my favorite queer ways to get pregnant, to get pregnant and have a baby is being a poly person and getting pregnant on the side. And, uh, I, this happened to a friend of mine who, uh, is now raising that child with her partner. It was like, I think they had tried to get pregnant with sperm before that they had bought and it had never worked. And then, um, it was just like a, I think a condom oops or something. Um, but got pregnant and now raising their miracle baby. Uh, I have another friend who's in a poly triad, and that's how she got pregnant. So she's uh, queer, has a, a woman-identifying partner and a male-identifying partner. Got pregnant. has Have a baby. It's really cute. And I will also say poly triads are a great way to raise kids. People um, do not understand. Like, we, we put a lot of emphasis as a culture on this nuclear family idea, but I think truly, um, it's a way of like stripping families of the ability to be strong in many ways. Cause it's really hard to do things with just two adults. Like 
during the pandemic, the people I knew who were having self-care and had kids, they were the people who had a third adult in the picture. Either a full-time caregiver was in the home, uh, a grandparent was significantly involved, or um, polytriads. Like, and that's how people were getting self-care. It's like, it really is, you need more than two parents sometimes um, to raise kids. So, um, anyway, polytriads. Uh, I know a lot of single moms out there who got pregnant uh, in all the ways that you get pregnant, like buy sperm or get a friend to give you some sperm, um, and that kind of thing. Um, that first couple who I learned the TTC word from, their kids are now like teenagers. It's wild. I'm old. Um, I'm old in a way that is great. I've seen a lot. I know a lot. I have more faith. And I also know there's so much more to come that I don't even know. I can't even be aware of. Um, but this friend, um, they did your turn, my turn pregnancies. Uh, partially because the first pregnancy had just been so hard on the, on the first mother. Um, and so like, I think they wanted to have a second kid, but it was just like, it just felt like, cause my friends who did that, your turn, my turn, it wasn't like her pregnancy was exceptionally hard, but this other person's pregnancy was exceptionally hard. So there was a second parent who, um, was pregnant with the, the sibling they only ever use that one sperm. But what's really fun is they found donor siblings of... So basically, like, there are these... This was in the 2000s, so I don't know if this still exists, but there were chat rooms once upon a time and forums where you could, like, go and say, hey, I bought sperm number yada yada from such and such a bank. And then you could find your donor siblings through that. And so they were able to see kids who were, like, half-siblings to their kids um, and they've met some of them. I thought that was really cool. That's that's one of the fun things you can do. <laughs> when you're, like, getting pregnant in this non-traditional way, like, this is one of the fun ways you can do it. Um, I also want to talk about, like, pregnancy loss and, um, and, and just really believing for it. Like, I've had friends who lost a child in utero at five months, which is quite late. Uh, one in four pregnancies uh, doesn't make it. Um, and most of that happens in the first trimester, which is why I think most people don't, um, announce in the first trimester. Um, and my friends lost their baby at five months. But what I thought was really beautiful about that was that I saw them in that grief process develop a much stronger marriage. Um, and they both told me that they felt like they were more of a team after they experienced that and walked through that together. Um, and I just thought it was so beautiful. They were so strong in that. Um, and now they have two awesome kids. I love them so much. Um, I'm so grateful they walked through that loss so that we could love, um, the babies that they did get to have. Um, and their first, their oldest is like such a spunky personality filled little love bug that like, I, she always needed to be the oldest child. <laughs> I can't imagine her not being the oldest child. So it's like, it's interesting how these things just kind of happen, right? Um, Let's see. I also have a friend who, like, so deeply wanted to have a kid. Um, so, like, it was just constantly on her mind. Like, uh, she talked about it a lot. And then it was so funny. Like, a couple, like, a couple few years ago, I checked in. Like, we were catching up, and I was just asking her. I was like, oh, are you guys going to have kids? And she's like, actually, I decided not to. Um, and, like, and for all these really great reasons, much of which is, like, lifestyle stuff. And she's like, I just kind of realized I didn't want kids like I thought I did. I just kind of wanted the idea of it. 
Um, but really, I really like my life and I like how it is without kids, which is a really beautiful place to get into. And so also recognizing people can change their mind about wanting to have kids. And that's a beautiful part of the process, right? It's just kind of as you get to know yourself more and having more clarity. Um, and I think also there is a little bit of um, privilege in being a queer person who doesn't have procreative sex to like make a choice to not have kids. Um, and I mean, not like heterosexual can't, people can't make choices to not have kids too. Um, I just feel like birth control is, wreaks havoc on your body and it can be harder and it's never foolproof. So, um, you know, if a kid is trying to be born, it's going to be, it's going to get you pregnant. Um, but anyway, so I just thought that was good, um, to talk about someone who had just kind of changed their mind. Um, it is the vast minority. Most of my friends who wanted to be parents, kept wanting to be parents and then became parents. Um, uh, another friend of mine, this is not a queer story, but I think it's a really beautiful story. Uh, one of my closest friends. She had been so adamantly against ever being a single parent by choice. Like, I, like, multiple times had, like, said, I absolutely never want to do that. I'm definitely waiting for my person. And then I can remember exactly where I was sitting in my house in L.A. when she told me she was try pursuing uh, single parenthood because it was so unexpected. Because she was someone who had just been so adamant that she wanted to have, uh, to wait and have her own kid. And also she had been um, pretty adamant she didn't want to date someone who had kids or who had been married before. But by this time, we were like, we're the same age, so I think we were like 38 at the time. Um, and, uh, but she was like, you know, the time is clicking. I don't know where he is. So I'm going to start trying to get pregnant. So she was doing all the like pre-fertility stuff, like doing lots of checkups and things like that, um, with, uh, her medical providers. And it was like, it was a thing that was happening. I was so excited for her to have like changed her mind and made this decision and move forward to it. And then wouldn't you know, <laughs> she met somebody. <laughs> And he had two kids already um, who were like, eh, I want to say they were like maybe eight and ten when they got together. Maybe they were seven and nine. Um, no, I think they were like eight and ten because they're like almost, I think they're both teenagers now. Anyway, whatever. Um, but it was really interesting because it was like she was full on headlong, like I'm going to get pregnant. And then like, and also she had gotten some like uh, startling fertility news um, in that process about um, how it could be hard for her to like carry to full term. Um, and, and all of that happened like while she was just starting to date this person. Um, and then now like, and she just dove into being a stepmom, like a duck to water. Like she really, really cares about those kids as their, as her own. Um, and I think that's the most beautiful way to step parent. Um, my dad's greatest choice, uh, in his whole life was to have me as a child. Second greatest choice was to get married to his second wife, which was Liz, who I met when I was 11 years old. And she just like loved me like her own daughter immediately. I, as a traumatized, uh, adolescent did not know how to receive that unconditional love. But now that I'm like older, I totally really appreciate how she just embraced me, uh, loved me and did everything she could to show me that she loved me. Um, and I really think this is what my friend is doing with her stepkids too. Like, um, she's even reached out to me for advice about like body image stuff, um, uh, with her daughter. Um, and I just, I love it. I love how much intention she puts into being a parent. Um, I just admire it so much. And I really just, uh, whenever I think about how happy she is with her family, I'm like every, every parent becomes a parent who's supposed to become a parent in the way they didn't expect. Right. Sometimes it's the way you expect. Sometimes it's not. Um, and it's so beautiful and, you know, 
God has blessed this broken road that led me straight to my children, right? Um, I clearly don't know a ton of gay men who have kids, uh, and because uh, all these stories are mostly about women. Um, but I do know, uh, and I know some non-binary folks who have gotten pregnant and are solo parents, actually, and I know some non-binary folks who, um, have had kids, uh, who have partners, uh, but, um, I don't know as many, uh, gay men who have kids, and, um, but I, the ones I do, uh, a lot of them are, like, adoption, um, and just pursuing adoption, which I think is a really cool way to do it. I actually don't know anyone yet who is pursuing surrogacy. Although I think, uh, one of my friends is potentially going to pursue surrogacy. So I'm excited to like kind of have the vicarious, uh, ear of like, just, this is how it happens. Like you become friends with people and then you catch up with them every like six months to a year. And then you hear their story and you witness them. And I'm always a cheerleader. I'm always here to like gas people up and to like hold your dreams. And I'm going to remember that you dreamed this thing and like check in about it. Right. So, um, anyway, uh, I'm excited to have a vicarious surrogacy experience, um, just to know what that's like and to know that process. I'm fascinated by it. Um, and especially like with my legal background, like it's all of these contracts are like semi-illegal, like donor contracts and stuff like that. Like it's really hard. Like there's a lot of morality in our judicial system that is uh, misplaced. Um, cause I think people should definitely get to have more free choice about their bodies and what they do with their bodies and how they sell their bodies and sell access to their bodies. I don't believe in exploitation, but I think two consenting adults can definitely be like, Hey, here's some money. Can I use your uterus? Right. Um, so anyway, I'm excited to hear more stories about that. If you out there are, uh, someone who has a queer parenting story that, um, I didn't cover, I would love to hear it from you. And if you want to send me an audio message, you can do that on anchor.fm slash Bevan. I think there's a little button for send an audio message and I would love to hear it. So I just want to be a repository for hope. I want you to really hear in this hope. I want you to hear that your parenthood is coming. Uh, your stork is coming. It's going to land on your doorstep, however it's meant to. And, um, I'm just grateful to be here and to just sort of share my belief with you. Um, so if you want to support this podcast, if this is meaningful for you, if I add value to you, uh, my Patreon page is the best way to do that. So Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash F-K-D-P, which stands for Fat Kid Dance Party, is my Patreon page. Patreon is a membership support site that allows folks like you to support creators like me that create work that you find valuable and you want to support in the world. Um, I think it's truly the future of art and creation. Um, are these one-on-one subscriptions? Uh, you know, just like you have a Netflix subscription, uh, you might also have like a bucket of artists that you support whose work you think makes the world better. Um, or, you know, if you got some value out of this and you don't want to join a membership support site, you can also just Venmo me, uh, at Bevan B. Uh, there's fatkiddanceparty.com slash donate has so many ways that you can send me money. Um, or also just send something to my PO box, like a little gift or whatever. Um, I love getting mail. I have a few pen pals. Um, Anyway, so patreon.com slash FKDP. Uh, I have lots of benefits on there. Starting at $2 a month, you get access to all of my Zoom aerobics classes. Um, Those are on Saturdays, uh, Sunday, if you're in Australia. And um, it's a really fun class. Fat Kid Dance Party Aerobics is uh, for anyone who has ever been called too fat, too much, or felt too awkward to dance. Um, It's a totally supportive class. Uh, My work product is joy. Like, I literally, that is what I'm hoping and planning and preparing your body to receive and experience in my classes. You're going to experience joy. 
Um, it's a very weird thing to market um, because, you know, so many other fitness things market it for weight loss, but that's not my value system. My value system is about people loving and accepting their bodies for how they are um, and uh, really accepting the one and only body you're ever going to have. We're not talking about the body you used to have, not the body you think you should have, just this body that you have today. That's where your real freedom is, is just that love and acceptance. Um, and so that's Fat Kid Dance Party. You can come to my Zoom class. Um, you can also, at the $2 a month level, I have spiritual teachings I'm doing. Um, this year, 2021, I'm doing every month a different teaching on spiritual self-care that has helped me. Uh, so I've talked about utilizing dragons, some basic spiritual hygiene, uh, crystals, doing altars. This month in May, I'm going to do um, something about anointing um, and utilizing oils um, and anointment in your spiritual practice. Um, so all of that is at patreon.com slash fkdp. And uh, there's higher levels for um, on-demand aerobics. Uh, I do an on-demand uh, menu of classes. There's always a 10-minute, a 20-minute, two 55-minute classes, a chair aerobics class, and a 45-minute can size class, which is uh, it's the same fat kid dance party with slower, more repetitive choreography for an optional cannabis experience. I refresh those classes weekly, uh, or one of those classes weekly. So it's always like a fresh menu, constantly, you know, kind of get an add-in to, and then the oldest one is dropped off. Um, plus bonus classes from other body positive instructors. We have a Fat Kid Dance Party Discord server where you can go make friends outside of class. Um, and it's just a really fun community and I'm working hard to create digital community there and like really make it a living space where people can kind of come in um, and feel welcome and supported and make some friends. Um, I'm also updating the FatKidDancePartyDotcom blog with stuff that I learned from our self-care check-ins after class. So if you miss a class, you can go and see what you missed. Um, so that's it for today. Thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. I appreciate you. I'm believing for your stork energy. I'm believing for you having whatever kids you want to have. And even if you just listen to this and you're not queer and you're just curious about how queer people become parents, I hope that you learned something. I hope it opened your mind a little bit. Um, and I hope that next time someone tells you they're trying to have a kid, you just cheer them on. Do not speak negativity over them. Speak only positivity. Um, and, uh, there's just so many negative people out there. It's so much work to be negative. It drains so much of your energy. Um, being positive is, uh, being positive is a lot of work too, actually. Being positive actually is more work than being negative because we have a negativity bias and we live in a negative culture, but negativity I say is work is just simply because it's a drain of energy. And when I'm negative or when negative things are going on, it's just sapping my energy away from what I think I'm really meant to be here on this earth to do, which is to help people get free in their minds and bodies. So if I'm being pessimistic or I'm being negative or focusing on results instead of the dream, I am draining my energy from doing things like making a podcast for you or planning my aerobics or marketing or whatever I need to do. So uh, I've been signing off for a while now. I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thanks for tuning in and I'll talk next week.